All right, so, well, if you're 10 and younger, please go with Miss Lindsay here, and we will see you in about 30 minutes for some tamales and an awesome Christmas. So if you have your Bibles, open it with me to Isaiah chapter 53. It's good to see you guys tonight. I'm so glad y'all are here. And we're going to have an awesome time in the Word, and then after our time in the Word, then the parents and the adults and the ministry teams, you'll go downstairs and you'll find the table that has your kid's name on it, okay? So they're the guest of honor, and there's a table with their name on it, and then once you're there, just enjoy dinner together, and this is a lot like uh, young, the Young Life Ministry. I would just go into the high schools And I would go into the cafeterias, and I would just meet kids. And I would always pray that the Lord would help me to make a connection. And through that connection, that I could get involved in their life. I would find out what sporting events that they had, and I would make make efforts to go to their sporting events. And even, even if I wasn't into that particular sport, I just wanted them to know that I was there. And I just wanted to wave at them. And next time I saw them, I would say, good game. And I would just build a relationship. And I remember one time I, I took a group of kids to, uh, to a bowling alley. It was on a Friday night. And we went to this bowling alley that's now Hope Church off of I-30 and Beach Street. But it used to be a bowling alley. And we would go there quite a bit and I'd hang out with these kids. And I remember one time this kid looked at me and he said, don't you have anything better to do on a Friday night? And I said, no, I don't. Because you're the most important thing in the world. And God believes that and God put that in my heart. And I'm just, I'm honored to spend time together. And through the context of relationships, the Lord allowed me to share Christ with people. You know, there's a saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that is the truth. You know, from time to time, I'll find myself trying to cut corners and just going for the shortcut, bypassing a relationship, and just trying to teach a kid to act right, teach a kid to behave. And when I realize some increasing uh, frustration, perhaps, or distance, I realize there's no relationship. I'm trying to, trying to tell them to behave without the relationship to model to them that Jesus loves them. Because again, people don't know how much, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And isn't this what Christmas is all about? In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we go down to verse 14, and the Word, Jesus, became flesh, and He just made His dwelling among us. This is how Jesus approached ministry, relationships. He just hung out with us. In fact, he didn't even begin his quote-unquote ministry until he was 30 years of age, but I promise up until then, he was building relationships. And even when his ministry went public, the heart of it was still relational. Do you guys remember that uh, Jesus kept telling people, I'm a friend of sinners and tax collectors. It was relational. He was walking down the street and he saw this guy Zacchaeus who had a bad reputation. He said, hey Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for dinner today. It was relational. 
And so what we're doing downstairs is really sweet, and, and I just, I'm grateful for all of you guys to participate, and it's going to be an awesome time, and, and I just want to encourage you to um, just look for an opportunity to build up a relationship, a supportive relationship that, that lasts throughout the year, and just an encouraging relationship, and um, man, you, you realize, as Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So... You're in Isaiah 54. Uh, let's look at this. It's really incredible. Sing, O barren, who have not born, break forth into singing and cry aloud. You have not labored with child. We just read a flurry of paradoxes, oxymorons, mutually exclusive words that shouldn't be in the same sentence. Barren woman? Sing, praise, rejoice. You who have no children, sing, praise, rejoice. Then we go to verse 6. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused. And then back up in uh, the second part of verse 4. And you will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. So we just read that this lady who's a widow and this lady whose love of her life is a youth and has forsaken her is blessed. Another paradox. Another uh, flurry of words that don't seem to go in the same sentence. Now let's go down to verse 11. O oh, you afflicted one, tossed in tempest and not comforted. And now we're talking about a city, a city that is absolutely slammed by an assault without mercy. Have you ever seen the, the clips of maybe the news clips of a hurricane that is slamming a city, maybe on the Florida coast or in Galveston? I mean, this city is just slammed. But this particular city, it's slammed, not by a hurricane. It's slammed by an onslaught of forces that hate this city and all of its inhabitants. And yet, we read that this particular city is blessed and bold. Another onslaught of words and and metaphors that don't belong in the same sentence. And what we just read are three of the most painful of human experiences. We have the deepest desires of a heart dashed. In this particular culture, it was to be barren. It was not to have child. It was an agricultural culture. And so they needed a whole bunch of kids to help with their crops. And on top of that, the namesake was so critical in this particular culture. Thus, we have the prayers of Hannah, or we have the prayers of Sarah and Abraham, or we have the prayers of Naomi and Ruth. And, and it was just... It was just heartbreaking not to have a lineage to perpetuate your name. And here we have a woman who is barren. And yet they are blessed beyond measure. And the second simile that we have is about a woman who is forsaken by the love of her youth and a woman who is widowed. And yet we see that this grieving heart is blessed beyond belief. 
And the third simile is this city that is just attacked, just slammed by an onslaught of forces without mercy. And yet this city is blessed beyond belief. You see that the first simile, it, it's, it cuts to the heart of something that we tend to place our confidence in and our longing for, and that's family. And we see that the, that the second simile is that that, that, that tends to be uh, something else that we tend to place our full longing in and security in, and that's your spouse. And we see the third simile, again, something that we tend to place our security in, and that is money or worldly security. And all of these are ripped from them, and yet they are considered blessed. And they're considered blessed because it's in this state of brokenness that they realize that their deepest need is Christ. See, in Isaiah chapter 53, we spent about three or four weeks on it, and we saw that it was gruesome. How many of you have ever seen a movie about Jesus? Have you ever seen a picture of Jesus on the cross? Any movie that we've ever seen of Jesus being crucified, any picture or painting that we've ever seen of Jesus being crucified is G-rated. But the text is NR, not rated. In fact, we read that it's so not rated that the people who were actually there historically couldn't even look at it. It says that we, we looked away, we despised him, we couldn't even look at the cross. And we, re- we read that they, couldn't even, they could not even look at the cross because in the previous chapter, in Isaiah 52, he was mutilated beyond the point of human recognition. He did not even look like a human being. Wow. How mutilated would you have to be? How tortured and beat Beaten would you have to be to not even look like a human being? Well, this was Jesus. And this was the context of Isaiah 53, written 700 years before Jesus was born, in great detail about the crucifixion. It is gory, it is gruesome, and it is what he did on the cross so that we would not have to pay for our sins. And they missed it. And The exact terminology in Isaiah 53 is we missed it, we looked away, we esteemed him not. That's the terminology. We esteemed him not. We didn't esteem this sacrifice on the cross. We didn't think it was valuable because we didn't think we needed it. And as we were walking through Isaiah 53, we talked about the reality that if we ever, if we ever underestimate God's holiness, if we ever diminish God's holiness, we begin to inflate and we begin to exaggerate our own righteousness. And if we diminish our understanding of God's holiness and we exaggerate our own righteousness, we think we need a whole bunch of things. We think we need a little more money. We think we need a little nicer house. We think we need our boss to like us. We think we need a day off. We think we need a hundred thousand things, but we esteem not a savior because we don't think we need someone to pay for our sins on the cross. But if we have a right understanding of God's holiness, we then have a proper understanding of our lack of righteousness, and then we realize that our single greatest need is a savior. 
somebody to pay for our sins on the cross. And this is what Jesus did. Because the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. And Isaiah 53 talks about that gory, gruesome death that Jesus paid for us so that we could go free. For example, there was a 16-year-old girl. She got her driver's license. She was really excited. So she got all her friends together. They get in the car. They're driving. They're drinking. They're going through a school zone. They're speeding. They're texting. They're driving recklessly. They look in the rearview mirror, and there's red lights flashing. And they're like, oh, no. So they pull over. The policeman, he walks over. He sizes up exactly what's going on. And he's not a bit happy because they could have killed many people. They could have killed themselves. Well, the driver gets all sorts of tickets, and she gets uh, arrested. Well, the day comes for this driver, this young 16-year-old girl, to stand before the judge. And the judge can't believe that she did this. How reckless it was, how irresponsible it was, how dangerous it was. So he told her exactly what her fines were, and her jaw dropped because she couldn't afford it. But then the judge stands up, and he takes off that black robe. He pulls out his checkbook, and he walks in front of the bench, and he writes out the price, and he puts the check on the desk. Because not only was that judge the girl's judge, that judge was also the girl's dad. And as the judge, he had an obligation to uphold the law of the land. And if he just dismissed it because of his love for his daughter, he wouldn't be just. He wouldn't be a good judge. But as her dad, he knew that it was him that was going to pay the price. And in the same way, in Romans 6, 23, the Bible says the wages of sin is death because God is so holy. And if we sin, we have to die. That's why we die emotionally and spiritually and physically and then eternally. And God knows that price. And he's a judge. He's a good judge. And because he's a holy judge, he is going to ensure that justice is satisfied. But he also loves us. And he loves us more than we could ever imagine. So he took off the robe. And he stepped from heaven to earth. And he was born in a manger. And he grew among us. And he built relationships. And he lived a holy and sinless life. And he paid the ultimate sacrifice for us on the cross. He paid the price for our sin. And that's what Isaiah 53 was all about. And it was, glor- it, was, it was gory, and it was gruesome, and it was bloody, and it was a slaughter, and he was crushed, and he was disfigured, and he didn't even look like a human being. He was so mutilated, and he paid for our sins on the cross. And then Isaiah chapter 52 is the glory that flows out of the gore of Isaiah 53. And in Isaiah 54, it talks about that no matter how disappointed we are, no matter how heartbroken we are, no matter how far we've strayed from God, no matter how messed up our life seems, the glory that flows out of the gore of the cross 
will make all things new, will make all things right, will hear the heal the deepest part of our souls. Therefore, the barren woman is going to be blessed beyond measure. Let's go back to Isaiah 54, verse 1. You who have not labored with child, rejoice for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. And with this promise, he says, expect it and enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right, to the left, and your, descend- your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. And God is saying, your heart is so sorrowful, but because of the gore of Isaiah 53 and the empty tomb, the glory of Isaiah 54 is that you will be blessed beyond imagination. And to the, and to the woman whose heart is broken, who's grieving, who has a widow's heart, a grieving heart, to the heart that is grieving as if the, the lover of your youth has run off with somebody else, you will be so blessed because In verse 5, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth, for the Lord has called you. In verse, um, we'll go down to verse 11, to the city that slammed. Behold, I will lay your stones with colorful gems. And this is very elaborate language because it's not only a prophecy of when Israel will be, Jerusalem will be destroyed and then restored. It's also a prophecy of when Christ returns and establishes his kingdom. I will lay your stones with colorful gems and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of rubies, your gates of crystal, and all your walls of precious stones. And your children shall be taught by the Lord. When Christ returns to establish his kingdom, not only will the lion lie next to the lamb and the child will play next to a cobra's den, but the Sunday school teacher will be Jesus himself. And he'll be saying, I love you so much. All your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. And this is speaks to a protection upon those who place their faith in Christ. Watch this in verse 15. Indeed, they shall surely assemble. In other words, an alliance will come against you. But God says, it's not because of me. In fact, whoever assembles against you will fall for your sake. And again in verse 17. No weapon formed against you will prosper. God says, I didn't say that a weapon won't be formed against you. I'm just saying when that weapon is formed against you, it's not going to prosper. And then... And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. It's not saying that no tongue will rise against you. It's just saying that any tongue that rises against you, you will condemn. This is the, this is the heritage of the, those who receive the work of Jesus on the cross, who place their faith in, in the gruesome sacrifice of the cross of Isaiah 53. This is the promise. This is their heritage in Isaiah 54. That God will take our weeping, our sorrow, our mourning, our fear, our disappointments, our failure, and he will translate them into our very greatest blessings. But how does this happen? How does this exchange take place? And I will close out 
quickly with Isaiah 55. You know, the Bible doesn't say that Christians don't grieve. It just says we don't grieve like the rest of the world who don't have hope. Everybody in the world grieves, but we grieve differently. We have hope. And isn't it painful to grieve with hope sometimes? But can you imagine how despairing and painful it is to grieve without hope? I have friends who've grieved without hope, and they took their lives. It's painful enough to grieve with hope. Hope that all things will work together for the good. Hope that God will make all things new. Hope that God is with me and for me. Hope that he will move the mountains. Hope that God's glory and faithfulness will be revealed. Hope that there is purpose in my pain. It's painful enough to grieve with hope, but we grieve with hope. I can't imagine grieving without hope. Jesus experienced sorrow, deep sorrow. In fact, Isaiah 53 says that he was a man of sorrows. Did you guys know that? He was a man of sorrows. There was a great burden on him, knowing that he was going to carry the weight of the world's sin. I can barely carry the weight. I can't even carry the weight of one of my sins. I have to give it to Jesus. And he carried the weight of the world's sins. He was a man of sorrows. And yet, he sorrowed with hope. He grieved, but with hope. Jesus sorrowed with joy. He had agony, but it was with joy. We read that In Hebrews, well, in in 1 Thessalonians, we read, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who fall asleep, that we grieve, but not with those without hope, like those without hope. And then in Hebrews, we read that Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who watched this, for the joy set before him endured the agony of the cross, despising its shame. Jesus endured sorrow, he endured agony, he endured shame, he endured intense sorrow, but with hope, because he looked through it to the joy on the other side. David and the Psalms prophesies of the joy, and Psalm, I believe, 45, 7, thou lovest righteousness and hated wickedness, a messianic prophecy written a thousand years before Jesus was born. Therefore, God, God the Father, speaks to God the Son. We believe in the Trinity. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above all your companions. We see that the man of sorrows was anointed with joy above all of creation. Hebrews corroborates that after the death, burial, and resurrection. This prophecy is fulfilled in Hebrews 1.9. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed thee above with gladness and joy above all of your companions. So we see that Jesus grieved. Jesus had sorrow. Jesus endured shame, but not without hope because he looked through it to the incredible joy on the other side of it. So let me just close out by asking you this question. Do you have sorrow? It's okay. Jesus had sorrow. 
Do you grieve? There's nothing unspiritual about grieving. The Bible says we grieve, but with hope. In fact, when, when I, when, when I uh, and beside people who've lost loved ones and sent loved ones to heaven, I tell them, grieve, shed tears. Tears are prayers that require no words. And pray through tears, and God will hold you. And those tears are an instrument of the Holy Spirit to heal you and restore you. Yes, we sorrow. Yes, we grieve. But let me ask you this. Do you grieve without hope like the rest of the world? Do you sorrow without an expectation of joy like the rest of the world? Do you experience anguish without the conviction that there is purpose in your pain and God never wastes a hurt and one day you will want to stand on the highest mountaintop and shout to the world, it's true, God is faithful. Do you sorrow, grieve, and have agony without joy and expectation of hope? Then I want to submit to you That though sorrow and grieving is part of the Christian experience, if we grieve without hope and sorrow without expectation of joy, I want to submit to you that perhaps you've allowed your suffering to become a source of idolatry in your life. And you you won't give that to the Lord because you're so focused on it. You won't let it go. You won't trust Jesus with your loss. You won't trust him with your sorrow. You won't trust him with your grief because it's become your heart's focus. And to experience the glory of Isaiah 54 that we read that was purchased with a high price in Isaiah 53, we have to surrender our whole heart to the Lord. Even our disappointments our setbacks, our failures, our sadness, our grief. We have to give it to the Lord, trusting that he will give us beauty for ashes, joy for sorrow, singing and dancing for a faint spirit. Or are you holding that back? We have to totally surrender our whole heart to the Lord to experience total victory that is ours in Christ. You know, at the end of World War II, towards the end of World War II, Japan just would not stop fighting. They literally did not have the term in their vocabulary, surrender. It was not in their vocabulary. The war was, was certainly lost, but they were not going to quit. So statisticians, military statisticians crunched numbers and concluded that if the United States and the Allies invade Japan in 1945, it will result in the loss of some 75,000 to 250,000 American soldiers. We'll win but at the cost of 75,000 to 250,000 American soldiers. But we had another another option, and it was called Little Boy 
It was the first atomic bomb. They put it in a B-52 called the Enola Gay, and that plane flew over Japan, and they dropped it over the heavily populated city of Hiroshima, and in a flash of light, 75,000 Japanese men, women, boys, and children were killed, annihilated. That many more would subsequently die of radiation. But guess what Japan did? They continued to fight because they didn't have the word surrender in their vocabulary. So we got another bomb, this one bigger than the last, called Fat Man. They loaded it on the B-52. They dropped it over a city, a bigger bomb, but less heavily populated. In a flash of light, 40,000 men, women, and children in Japan were killed. That many more would subsequently die of radiation. Japan surrendered. And on that, United States aircraft carrier where the United States leadership and the Japanese leadership met in order for Japan to sign the papers to surrender. I believe the general was MacArthur, and the Japanese general had a sword on his side, and they signed the surrender papers, and the United States general told the Japanese general, sir, relinquish your sword. We will accept nothing less than total surrender. So he relinquished his sword. And to experience the glory of Isaiah 54, we have to totally surrender. We cannot hold anything back. Nothing. What sword are you holding back? What sorrow, what sadness, what disappointment, what mistake, what failure? What inconsistency between the way you planned it and the way your life is unfolding? What are you holding back? The Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ says total surrender. And that's how you'll experience total victory. In Isaiah 55, Jesus invites everybody to surrender. Come to the waters, you who have no money. How do you, how do you come to the waters with no money and buy? Yes, come, buy wine, buy milk without money. How do you buy wine, buy milk without money? Total surrender to the follower of Jesus Christ. There's a story about, it was a, it was a kind of a, uh, an upscale type church. You know, everybody dressed really nice and there's a lot of money involved in this church. And the offering plate was being passed back and forth. And there was a boy sitting in the very back row. And he didn't have shoes. He couldn't afford shoes. And he was getting very nervous as the offering plate got closer and closer to him because he didn't have anything to put in the offering plate. And finally, when it got to him, he took it and he put it in the aisle and he stood in it. And he said, God, this is all I have. And that was the greatest offering given. And this is what Jesus wants. All we have. All of us. Total surrender. Verse 3. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. This offer is for you. Seek, verse 6, while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Total surrender. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon, and he will clothe you with his very own righteousness. So I want to lead us in two prayers to close out. One, 
I believe that Jesus is saying to some of you, look, you've gone to enough Christian meetings. You've read enough about Christianity. You've debated enough about Christianity. Now it's time you actually become one. Come to me. Call out to me as your Lord and Savior. And to others of us, Jesus is saying, return to me. Come back to me. Return to me. What have you allowed to become idolatry in your heart? We think that idolatry is only, is only grotesque sinfulness. Idolatry can also be insistence to grieve without hope. Insistence to sorrow without any expectation of joy. And we can make our sorrow our source of idolatry. Jesus is asking for total surrender for his glory and for your good. He wants to bless you. He wants to restore you. He wants to give you beauty for ashes, blessing for barrenness. So, would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, I just thank you for everybody here. And we pray for beauty for ashes tonight, for joy for sorrow. I pray that everybody here, we would all surrender. And we would surrender our sorrows. So that we're not in the category of those who grieve, period. What a dangerous place to be. Teach us to grieve with hope. And we're not in the category of those who sorrow, period. But we sorrow with expectation of joy. Because we know that you will work all things together for the good. You will be glorified. You will give us beauty for ashes, joy for sorrow, singing and dancing for a faint and weak spirit. And if you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, and if you never trusted in what Jesus did for you on the cross, do that now. Just in your heart, say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I know I've sinned. But I also believe that you paid for my sins on the cross. Thank you. So I buy salvation without money by just calling on you to save me. Save me, Jesus. I trust in your work on the cross as payment for my sins. I praise you, Lord, for the gruesome sacrifice of the cross in my place so that I could experience the glory of being your child and the glory of a relationship with you and the glory of being blessed by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, thank you all for being at our 530 service. And we are about to have some tamales and a whole bunch of other stuff. And we're going to have an awesome Christmas party. And it's going to be a blast. So with that being said, please make your way downstairs and find your kids' table. And just love on them. You're dismissed.